In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about danger dangling. What ifs and warning, 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 excessive Britishisms in our discussion (laughs) of The Agency by Monica McGurk. (laughs) Warning, 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 what, what, warning, what, 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 what? Hey everybody, (laughs) welcome to... Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. (laughs) And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss The Agency by Monica McGuck. Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read it and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read the book, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Are you fighting trying not to say it as well? I am. I really am. <laughs> yeah. I'm really trying really hard. Yeah. So this is an indie spotlight. Yes, it, it is an indie spotlight. We've been talking to um, Greenleaf, who sent us this for a while. And we finally were able to get Monica on the show, and it's fun. And we read it, and it was a good time. I don't even remember when I got the first email about this book, but it's been a little while. It has, it has. And we've had quite a few indies since as well. Yes, we have. And we- we trolled through to see which ones would be fun. And this one, because of the whole transatlantic crossover, seemed to fit the bill. Yes, it really school. did. It really did. It's exceptionally British. I'm pretty sure when this first when we first got the email about this one, I was like, Claire, we need to read this one during our exceptionally British month of fictional hangover. But then yeah. By that point, I don't think that we had figured out which month was going to be where and where we were going to do Indie Spotlight. So it happened to to fall into Indie Spotlight first because of the way we ended yeah, up doing I think the calendar. We debated doing an Indie Spotlight for the book club, didn't we? Yeah. But we decided against that and just fall into what we have to do and have it as a vampire book right. club. Vampire book club is the only thing that we are. <laughs> That's not true. People spoke. <laughs> Fangs were out. Yes. Imagine the uproar if we turned around and said, we're not doing a vampire book. Yeah, ah! people would be like, why? Why aren't you doing a vampire book? Why are you doing... Who are you? This is how you know we've been kidnapped. Yeah, why are you doing an indie spotlight that we may or may not be able to get our hands on because it may or may not even be published yet? Why are you doing this to us? We want vampires. We want vampires. Yes. This is how you know we've been kidnapped if we turn around and say no more vampires except when it was actual book theme month and it was monster mash but we've done that yeah that's already done (laughs) and we still talked about vampires that month (laughs) because we can't because have you met because we can't not talk about vampires (laughs) so exactly do we have any actual background yes yes we do uh speaking of greenleaf this is from greenleafbookgroup.com they had an interview with monica and um i took a little bit of information from that interview, and this paragraph says, Monica McGurk loves nothing better than to craft thought-provoking, multi-layered stories, showcasing strong girls and women overcoming big challenges. So that's very good. And then it goes on to say, already a fan favorite, she received the 2013 Twi-Fic 
Fandom Undiscovered Gem Award for <gasps> Morningstar, her alternate ending to the Twilight series. Yay! <laughs> and that made me really, really happy. And uh, we talk about that in our bonus episode. So everyone, make sure you go and listen <laughs> to us. We will get vampires in everywhere. We really will. We can't not talk about vampires. It has to happen. It's pretty perfect. It's pretty perfect. So I thought that was fun. And I mean, hello, she writes about Definitely. Twilight. Is she already our best friend? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. That was my background info. <laughs> Twilight. Appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> For further Twilight support could talk, please see bonus episodes. <laughs> oh, yes. Please see previous episodes of Fictional Hangover. <clears throat> Many of them. Do you know what? We haven't done the actual Twilight series yet. I know. In the in the BC times, we did talk about the gender swapped Twilight, which I really enjoyed yes. talking about. But yeah, yes. we haven't talked Twilight. And I is anybody else shocked by that, or is it just me? Well, we did do Midnight Sun, and like I said, in the before mm. times, <laughs> life after death, or whatever it's called. Oh. I feel like in the before times... Life after death, yes. I feel like in the before times, we <laughs> we said, we're going to have to talk about Twilight sometime. And then it was, oh, let's just talk about this one because it's all Twilight wrapped into one and it's just one story and then we don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> that was before Vampire Book Club was a thing, though. Mm-hmm. If that was before me, yeah, I've been co-host longer than than anybody else. So that's true. That's true. We're but we time. can't. We're... We can't We're... pretend that the before times didn't exist because if oh we if, don't yeah. we don't what we do is we go oh you talked about life after death but you didn't talk Twilight and you didn't talk Breaking Dawn and you didn't talk about all of the others. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. And we have recovered some things. We went through the selection again, which was a lot of fun. Oh, big gowns. Mm. Huge gowns. Anywho, this is completely off topic. I did. I in In our bonus episode, which I didn't say this out loud, but I did think, and now I don't even remember why, Something that we said in the conversation with Monica reminded me of the selection, and I don't remember what it was. But I thought about it. Was it it the dystopian? Maybe, yeah. Maybe when she, maybe, maybe it was that. I don't know. I don't remember. If anything spurs or, you know, makes makes you think of the selection in our bonus episode, uh, tell us. Remind me of what it was that I was thinking of. <laughs> what was going through Amanda's yes. head at this Surely point? Surely some... If you want to go down that dark, dark place. <laughs> Surely someone can... Someone's on my same wavelength. Maybe. Probably not. Dakota. Anyway. 
Dakota. Dakota probably is. Maybe Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Mm. Anyway. Okay. So what are your initial thoughts? Initial <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> ah! I got it out before you did. <laughs> um, I, do you know, I... Before going in, no expectations. Right. After I left the agency, I was like, it's a tale of two books. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good setup. And we know that it's going to be a trilogy. At least least. a trilogy. Yes. Yes. For more on that, go to the bonus episode. So, yeah, it was a good setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was exceptionally British, so <laughs> so it was very fitting for us. You ready? You ready to get into, get into it? Yeah. All right. The job of a nanny is to handle all the tears and tantrums, smiles and adventures of the children, to help the children's imagination soar and to teach them lessons that last them all through their lives. It is not the job of a nanny to lose the children. And yet, this is what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, rats. First year orientation, Bath, England. Whilst sitting in the auditorium waiting for convocation ceremony to begin, the first American to attend Norwood College has just met the first male to attend Norwood College. Brianna, Bellona, Parrish, or Bree is from Florence, Alabama. And Dashiell Haywood is an impoverished aristocrat. I always say cat. You do. You did say aristocrat. I always do. I always do. Impoverished aristocrat. From the outset, Dashiell declares they shall be unicorns together and firm friends. (laughs) Unicorns. Norwood College is the most preeminent educational establishment in the world to offer an undergraduate degree in child development. However, there are few exceptional pupils who can also achieve the coveted Norwood diploma and, along with it, Unimaginable career opportunities. Do we want these unimaginable career opportunities? Mm. Well, at the moment, yes, we do. Yes, yes, yes we, we do. do. Take Gul Avja, who hails from Turkey, an exceptional example of Norwood excellence. Don't worry about her British pedigree, though. She is British because you have to be to go to there. She is British, but she was adopted as a small child. Whilst at Norwood, pupils will live and work within a strict study group and will conduct themselves to Norwood's high standards. Pupils will attire themselves in the Norwood uniform, which is beige, and emblazoned with the Norwood crest, and wear only minimal makeup with their hair pinned back. Even Dashiell, he has to wear minimal makeup. (laughs) Oh, you know he loves his eyeliner. Bree is assigned to Group 12, along with Dashiell, S. Susie Hillvale, who is another impoverished aristocrat. (laughs) Yeah, is another impoverished aristocrat with dreams of marrying higher. And Ruby Fripp, the daughter of a nurse and entrepreneur who believes in hard work and applying oneself. 
while getting a dressing down by head girl Margaret Montoya Craig for the audacity of being an American. Oh. Brie admits to being an orphan and is there on a scholarship. To prove her worth, Montoya Craig makes Brie sing a lullaby. <laughs> Brie sings the well-known children's song, Must Do Sound. <laughs> I love that that's the song that pops into her head. It's amazing. It isn't until Dean Alborn steps in that the humiliation stops. Group 12, which as it turns out are all scholarship students, then head to their new home, Jaguar House, which is in need of some TLC. Though Dashiell, Susie, Susie and Ruby are open about their backgrounds, Bree isn't. She explains that she has lived her whole life at Thornton Orphanage. The director, Rodney, never adopted her, but he is the closest thing she has to a father, and Miss Judy, the patron, is a fond relative. Irregularities with Bree's paperwork meant she was never adopted after her parents died in a car wreck when she was a baby, and that's it. After a whirlwind weekend of registration, uniform fittings, cleaning, and grocery shopping, the foursome go on a rain-soaked tour led by Montoya Craig. They end the tour in the chapel, where they are expected to attend service. Inside is a statue that brings to mind everyone's favorite nanny, Mary Poppins. And it is dedicated to the many, many, many nannies who are listed behind as being killed in action. Some of the photos Mm. and plaques to the fallen are missing, apparently vandalized. Curious... And like, wouldn't is it me? What? What are you gonna say? Are we gonna say the same thing? Probably. You know, when you've got all these nannies, many, 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 many. nannies, listeners killed in action. You're like, how bad are the kids? Yeah. What are What are we getting into? What is this? Yeah. What is happening? Oh my god. Those are dangerous. Kids, man. First term. Term proceeds at a pace, a whirlwind of classes to support their undergraduate degree, as well as work towards being accepted on the diploma programme. Though they work as a group, Susie, she isn't pulling her weight, but the peer grading won't tell you mm. that. All for one, and mm. all that. One day, there is an announcement of extra physical exercises to supplement their physical development class and will help towards the diploma selection. Breeze up for it and persuades the others to do it too. The night before, however, they'll go out to a local bar where Dashiell flashes his share owner card to get a good table. The ale flows freely and when Bree goes to get the next round, she bumps into Gull, who buys the round of shots. Ominously, Gull mentions the trials, capital T, capital T, Mm. and before going back to her own group, asks Bree if she is prepared to do what it takes. Uh, Again, with the Uh, mystery... <laughs> the next day, Bree realizes how bad of an idea the drinks were, as she is really hungover. However, the physical challenge calls. When they get there, it is explained that the whole weekend is designed to be difficult, and they are soon whisked away on a train to London, tube to the Eurostar, then across the channel to Calais, France. They will spend the next five hours helping in refugee camp kitchen operations before heading straight back. 
It's hard work and disheartening seeing the suffering written all over the people Bree serves, and it's made even worse when the children come in for their meal. Against the rules, Bree talks to one, a girl called Amina. She gets upset when Bree promises her parents will find her because her parents are dead, and she flees the tent. Bree follows and finds the girl being attacked. Fighting off the assailant and pinning him to the ground, Bree is able to free Amina when Montoya Craig comes along with armed UN personnel. She tells Bree there is a child trafficking problem and the only people left to sort it out are people like us. A week later, their scores are handed out. Unsurprisingly, they suffered demerits for Susie taking a break and Bree abandoning her post, but Bree's act of bravery more than made up for it. This makes them contenders for the diploma programme. Second term. Bree is melancholy and homesick. The events of the refugee camp are still playing on her mind, and her lack of money means she can't return home to Thornton and Rodney for Christmas, which has greatly affected her. The offers extended to her by her friends for her to join them is kind, but she declines. In a contemplative mood one evening, Bree heads back to campus and, en route, walks past a homeless person who looks strangely familiar, and she swears, mutters, duty unceasingly from the school's alma mater. Strange? Bree reaches the chapel, but finds she isn't alone. Dashiell has followed, feeling that she ought not to be alone right now. They talk about her mysterious background and how her parents, if they even were her parents, died in a car wreck when she was still a baby, and their identities are unknown, as is her date of birth. The car they were driving was rented under social security numbers belonging to dead infants, and her name is only known because of the tag on her diaper bag found with her. Dashiell tells her it's a good name. Brianna means strong and honorable in Celtic, and Bologna, her middle name, is the name of the Roman goddess of war. He then reminds Bree that they are her family now, so she's not alone. Aww, Aww. we love a found family. Yeah. At the end of term assembly, Dean Alborn warns the first years about cheating on their final exams and also presents a new group challenge that will be worth 50% of their final mark and to take up their weekend. The whole weekend, really? (laughs) They must plan in excruciating detail an entertainment curriculum for a two-week vacation for a family with three children of very different ages. At the same time, they must look after an uncanny valley robot baby, logging every bodily function in minute detail. Oh, great. Just Mm. great. The entertainment planning challenge was completed without too much stress, but the robo-baby was (laughs) messy. Especially after Susie fed it the wrong food and it reacted like a real child. This is disgusting. Poop everywhere. It would have been a complete failure if another group hadn't accidentally killed their robot baby. (laughs) The group had other challenges with mixed results, including an awkwardly recorded role playing session, (laughs) this was hilarious, and a scavenger hunt in London designed by Susie, which went off superbly. Bree did feel personally attacked when one clue took them to the Foundling Hospital, which is now a museum, but the others reassure her that they don't think Susie meant anything by it. No. 
No. After their grueling exams are finally finished, the foursome trudge back to Jaguar House, only to find the door open and people inside. It's nothing nefarious. Rather, it's Rodney and Miss Judy from Thornton have come for a visit and plan to take Bree to the Christmas market on a special tour of baths and then out for dinner. Lovely. It's a wonderful night. The Christmas market is a feast for the senses and the baths are magical. Well, until a statue falls and nearly crushes Bree, calling an end to the evening. Strangely, all evening, Miss Judy seems to be looking about as if on alert, and when the statue fell, she accused the curator of being of someone being up there. The next morning, aching from her dive to the cobblestones to avoid being squashed, Bree finds a summons on exceedingly nice stationery, I mean, this is top-notch, to a faculty lounge at 7pm that evening. Ruby, Dashiell and Susie got one too. Curiouser, curiouser. Dressed in their required formal attire, Dashiell, in his new male version, which is akin to a Sherlock Holmes cosplay, (laughs) they leave Jaguar House and walk straight into the clutches of the paparazzi. (laughs) They're only there for Dashiell, as ladies at Norwood aren't interesting at all. But a Marquess turned Manny is very interesting. Very tabloid worthy. Once at the administrative building, they're ushered into the original Norwood building, where 30 or so fellow first-year classmates are also mingling about. Soon, order is called, and Dean Alborn takes to the podium. She informs the gathering that they have been selected for the certificate program, which means they have been selected to enter the world of espionage. (gasps) What? The elite Norwood nanny is more than a caregiver. They are well-placed spies working on behalf of MI6. Should they take advantage of the opportunity, their life will be devoted to intelligence gathering. If not, they will be given an experimental serum and made to forget everything they've experienced. And then they'll leave Norwood as an academic failure. Oh. Oh, dang. And that injection that they just got as they sat there listening to the Dean, that was a tracker. So they shouldn't even think about escaping or telling anyone. They have 12 hours to make this incredibly important decision that will decide their futures. Gosh, dang it. That's, That's harsh. Wow. Oh. You think it's light-hearted, nanny, baby-shitting fun, and then, nope. Nope. Spies. Nope. Espionage. <laughs> or mind-wiping. Oh. Fun. fun for all the family. Well, understandable. The pupils are shocked. Bree escapes the room and flees to the chapel, where she finds Miss Judy, who, it turns out, was a Norwood graduate before she faked her death. She was also Bree's mother's handler, as she was also a Norwood lady. Bree's mother met her father while on duty. Her father was an MI5 agent with a child from his first marriage and was in need of a nanny. Their marriage and Bree were not part of the plan. Yeah. Miss Judy has made it her mission to fulfil Bree's mother's wish to look after her, but now... Will she follow in her mother's footsteps? 
Will she help Miss Judy solve whatever is going on at Norwood? Curiosa. Curiosa. Back at Jaguar House, Bree finds her cohort drinking around the dinner table, dejected and worried. If they had any indication Norwood would lead to this, they aren't sure that they would have enrolled. Giving up, however, is not an option. They have their pride. So it's agreed that in the morning, as one, they will sign up to be spies. As they talk, Bree reveals that she thinks she knows the identity of the homeless woman she met not long ago. She's convinced it's Alice Clark, a Norwood lady recently lost while in active duty, and a name the instructors and proctors always use to motivate the class by saying, Do it for Alice. <laughs> Sweet, sweet, sweet Alice. sweet Alice. We didn't just inject her and dump her on the street. <laughs> Not at all. No. no. Term three. Spy training starts in earnest, and there is no slacking off undergraduate obligations either. The physical training quickly becomes Bree's favourite because their teacher teaches them that Norwood women have always been underestimated because of their sex and overlooked because they fade into the background. The formless beige uniforms act as a disguise and as armour. This is exemplified when Dashiell faces Susie in a training exercise and he has his ass handed to him. <laughs> is it just me or was that exceptionally British? That whole paragraph felt... Arse. 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 I think I like arse better than ass. Arse. <laughs> One evening, after a difficult exercise involving keeping the Robo Babies alive in a kidnapping situation, Bree and Dashiell are heading back to Jaguar House when Dashiell tells her that he's at Norwood to embarrass his father. His mother was the first wife, and the nanny, a Norwood alumna, cleverly got her out of the picture, then insinuated herself as wife number two, and he never saw his mother again. Now he's older. He sees how selfish his father was. Norwood is a way to get revenge, as his father loves nothing more than his own self-image. As for his relationship with Susie... He had never met her before Norwood, and it's, you know, a little fun that they can have while they're at school. But he knows that Susie has grander plans. Bree reveals her unhappy childhood, how when Rodney had to take extended absences as his wife was dying of cancer, his temporary assistant would chain her in the barn to an old horse lead and gag her because she didn't want to deal with Bree's nightmares about the car wreck. What the hell? Yikes. Her wrists are still scarred because of this. And you know what makes it worse? Those nightmares have come back. But in the place of her mother screaming for help, it's Alice Clark. <laughs> Bree also tells Dashiell the identity of her parents and Miss Judy, but asks that he not share this information with anyone. Okay, Bree, you win the bad childhood yeah, award. Yeah, really? Jeez. Really? She's <sighs> just like, oh, your childhood was bad. Hold on. Look at my scars. <laughs> But she doesn't. She tries to keep them hidden. So That's true. That yeah. is true. In a, oh, frankly, ghastly 6am mm. class, oh, mm. 
Their geopolitics instructor explains at length and in detail how disappointed and dismayed she is in the class by the overall performance of the last assignment. All except Susie, who seems to excel in this one. So as punishment, or as makeup, or both, she and the Social Graces instructor have teamed up and arranged for a ball where they will be tested on the full gamut of curriculum content. It will also be judged on a bell curve and the results will define their summer placements. Great! Yes, this is excellent news. This is terrible. I I really question the grading at Norwood. Because I'm pretty sure they're changing their grading based on who they want to proceed in the program. Like, well, you know, I agree. Bree's kind of dumb and she keeps failing at things. But by God, is she a tough badass. So let's just give her some bonus points. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> There's no consistency. Yeah. She's not really doing too well in any of her classes, but she did risk her life to rescue that one child. So we clearly need her. Yeah. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> With Dash's ability to sweet-talk a middle-aged cat lady, he and Bree are able to gain administrative access to Norwood's system in order to try and discover who Bree's mother was. Meanwhile, it's time for the ball. Bree wears a simple black dress and flats she got from a thrift store. Ruby is in a Notting Hill carnival costume repurposed for the evening, and Susie is in one of her mother's saris. Bree and Ruby are shocked to find out that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Susie is the daughter of a Bollywood star. Ooh. That was really neat. I liked that. Yeah. She's very bitter about her parents. The evening goes well, and Brie is able to converse on her geopolitical topic with Dean Allborn well. Phew. Phew. (laughs) My goodness. When the dancing starts, it's not the typical waltz, rather the MI5 agents acting as their waiters take the group hostage. <laughs> that old <No>. shtick. <laughs> Thankfully, Bree and Ruby notice something was wrong and are able to grab Susie and Dashiell before all hell breaks loose. They think it's the training exercise though, uh, but they can't be completely sure. Regardless, they must fight back. They come up with a plan involving diversion and flanking, but it's Susie beating the snot and almost (laughs) taking the eye of one of the agents with her stiletto shoe that truly impresses everyone. As they leave the ball, Susie tells them that the S in S. Susie Hillvale stands for Susmita, and that is how she wants to be known going forward. It comes as no surprise that her final marks are excellent. In fact, they are top of the class and will bag the international posting during the summer. Gull congratulates them and asks if they are prepared to do whatever it takes. The foursome give an anonymous yes. Are they though? Really? Are they? Are they? Let's see. Summer Field Spycraft, Istanbul, Turkey. Bree is working with Agent Gul Avji to co-nanny the four children of Lieutenant Colonel Kemal Asker of the Turkish Land Forces Army in Istanbul and his wealthy wife, Hadan, so she may have more time to be a hostess and help advance his military career. 
In reality, a secret faction within NATO is seeking to remove Turkey's president. The faction has recruited Asker, who is disillusioned with the current government, but unfortunately, this information has been made known to the army, putting Asker and his family in danger. Bree and Gull are there to protect the children and to find out who is selling out Asker. The others of Jaguar House have been placed to assist with the mission. Dashiell is with the family of the German defense minister, Ruby is with the family of the NATO high commander, and Sismita is at Norwood HQ monitoring the whole operation. She's not allowed around oh, children then, which clearly is not. No. She's not good at that. No. 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 She's not going to get an undergraduate, but she'll probably get a diploma. Yeah. All is going well until the command to evacuate the children is made. Bree and Gull have prepared for this and plan to make sure of taking the children to school, then divert to an airfield where NATO operations are being hosted, where they will store on a military flight to Germany. All is going well until their Air Force contact is found dead at the meeting point. Big hole in his head. Leaving their only option to travel with smuggled refugees to Calais. Not good. Mm -mm. Everyone disguises themselves as boys, which means the girls get very drastic haircuts. Gull, though, now has a pretty cool mohawk, with her natural auburn showing at the roots. The bribe takes all their money, but a place has been secured in a container on board a ship to Spain. The journey will take 10 days, and there will be limited food, water, sanitation provisions, and lights. Assuming all goes well, at the port in Spain, they will sneak out a hidden side door and be picked up by the trafficker's contact. Oh, and Bree will be doing this by herself, as Gull has she has just now been ordered back to help Hadan escape. The journey is long and arduous. There wasn't enough food. The toilet, if mm, you can call it that, failed mm. halfway through. Mm. And the children are restless and uncomfortable. It's perfectly mm. understandable. To make matters worse, when they reach port, Bree gets a text from Dashiell saying that container has been diverted to Brazil and to get out now. With makeshift sleeping bag ropes, they are able to get out, but Bree is hurt during the fall protecting one of the girls. They need to climb a ladder to get out of the ship's storage area, and with her injuries, Bree falls behind. When she emerges, the children are now nowhere to be seen, but a strangely accented voice tells Bree the children are no longer her problem before pistol-whipping her. She falls unconscious. She hears the man say that she looks just like her mother. <gasps> curious, curious. Mystery is wrapped in special sauce on a stick. Summer break. Bath, England. Bree wakes up in a hospital bed to the sound of Dashiell and Ruby chatting. They're talking about her her past, and Miss Judy. Dashiell is telling Ruby everything he swore to keep secret, and he has also told Susmita. Dashiell is unapologetic, given the circumstances. They update her on the situation. The children are missing. Gull has been killed. Hadan is missing, and Asker has been placed on suicide watch. They figure Bree's handler and Susmita were the best placed to be counter-agents, but it could also be someone higher at Norwood, so they need to be careful. Bree tells them about the kidnapper saying she looks like her mother, and they counsel her to say nothing. 
After they leave, a chatty nurse comes in to perform her rounds and hands Bree one of the children's teddy bears she was carrying as they escaped. Once alone, Bree cuddles the toy and realises that there is a nanny cam hidden inside. A high-end one that is motion-activated with an SD card. Ooh, espionage. Hiding the card in her arm cast, Bree has just enough time to act normal before Dean Allborn, Montoya Craig and the physical exercise instructor come in, requesting she tell them everything. 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 The interrogation lasts for five hours and they go over the same topics again and again, bouncing around and testing for inconsistencies. When they ask why Bree and Gull separated, Bree tells them they were given orders and the message was sent to both their phones. Montoya Craig passes Bree her phone from an evidence bag to unlock it and check. There is no message. And though Bree knows Gull is dead, this gives her the opportunity to be officially told. There's no record anywhere of any such order, and it wasn't until Bree was extracted that they knew something had happened to Gull. Gull's tracker appears to have been removed at her death. There's also suspicion around their Air Force contact. Bree remembers he was Asian and had a prominent American flag tattoo on his neck. And a This does not sit well with her interrogators. No. Neck tattoos don't no, sit well with No, please don't. Unless it's classy. Don't get a freaking American flag tattoo on your neck. Please. A few, day- <laughs> a few days later, back at Jaguar House, everyone is on tender hooks, suspicious of each other. Bree is desperate to see what is on the SD card and takes the opportunity to sneak to a photo shop to download it. But is caught by Dashiell before she can even cross the road. And by even cross the road, she nearly gets knocked over because she looks the wrong way. <laughs> Insisting she is only taking a walk to campus, Dashiell joins her and takes her to Norwood Library, where he shows her an old class picture of Margaret McCarthy, her <gasps> mother. <gasps> Though Bree isn't sure, Dashiell says they are the spitting doubles. And now he has a name. He can focus his search a bit mm. more. As Dashiell is continuing his investigation for her, Bree decides to trust him with the SD card. Together they leave, skirting a classmate who is obviously keeping watch on them, to go to an internet cafe. Loading up the first video, they see Gull blinking in Morse code about the mission being compromised and something about the Chinese. Dashiell then shows Bree his own security footage, this time... From their own house. Creep. Creepy. What? And oh. it's of Susmita having many, many sexy rendezvous with an Asian-looking man. Oh. They can't trust anyone. Nope. In the wee hours of the morning, Bree is finding it difficult to sleep. She keeps looking over at sleeping Ruby, who she shares a room with, and can't bring herself not to trust her. Ruby has time and again proven her loyalty as a friend, and after the incident in Spain, she has helped Bree with her recovery and tries to be sensitive to the fact that she and Dashiell have been put on active duty. Deciding to get up, Bree hobbles into the living room. The pain medication is wearing off, but it's a while before she can have more. As Bree sits down on the sofa, she hears voices outside the front door. 
suspicious and wary, she gets Ruby's gun. It's a good thing too, as Sasmita comes in looking dishevelled, but stunning. Time for some bad guy monologuing. Yay! Yay! Our favourite time! Sasmita hates England. All it stands for and its colonial history. And she hates the stigma of her birth and her parents' rejection. She wants to forge her own path. Her nanny, though not a Norwood lady, nicknamed her Diti, which in Hindi means revenge. It was Sismita who arranged for the accidents Bree has had, and she waved the flag in Bree's face during the scavenger hunt, leading her to the foundling hospital. Remember when our eyebrows shut up and we were looking at the camera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was Sasmita who has been diverting the arms Asker had been siphoning to China, and it was she who set Bree and Go up. Sasmita also tells her Judy knows more than she's letting on and that Bree is far too trusting of her. In the end, Sasmita pulls a gun on Bree, her hand steadier than Bree's as the pain and earlier exertions around Bath with Dashiell catch up to her. Before Sasmita pulls the trigger... She offers Bree a dying wish. She will tell her where the Asker children are, or she will tell her about her parents. Before Bree can reply, Sasmita's head explodes, Miss Judy standing behind her with a literal smoking gun. Bree is hailed as a hero, having taken credit for Sasmita's demise, since Judy cannot. <laughs> Judy tells Bree the extent to which she has looked after her. She made sure the awful assistant who tortured her as a child disappeared once she knew how strong Bree was. Still an ass move. Yeah. Mm. And she provided the paperwork necessary for her application, which was made by the school counsellor before disposing Ooh. of her. She had her killed. Mm. <sighs> I mean, that's what you do yeah. when you're a spy, though. Well, yeah. All these innocent people. Well, apart from your sister, yeah. they were an ass. Judy tells her she will always be there to protect Bree. Protect in quote, comment. Protect, yeah, and airports. then if you don't do what I want you to do, murder you? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. With only three weeks of summer left, the official inquiries are completed. Seeking solace at the feet of Poppins in the chapel, Bree encounters Judy again. Judy still needs her help to ferret out the other counter-agents at Norwood and find the Asker children. In the meantime, as a reward, Judy is sending Bree back to Thornton to recuperate before beginning her second year, and Dashiell can go with her if she'd like. Before leaving, Judy gives Bree a thick manila envelope with the name Margaret McCarthy written in bold letters. A thank you? A peace offering? A bribe? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. End of book End one. End of book Ooh. one. Ooh. Ooh. Cliffhanger. Ooh. Ooh, we like a good cliffhanger. <laughs> And as we reel for this, shall we have some messages from another podcast? Hi there, I'm Volley, one of the hosts of the Reading Queens podcast. If you love books, fandom discussions, and having a good time, join your new internet friends as we take on such topics and more. Hosted by a group of published authors, Reading Queens is a podcast for every book lover. 
Every week we get together to blab about our favorite books, why we love them, and the book boyfriends we wish were real. You can find the episodes on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms, with a new episode launching every Wednesday. Thanks. Now back to the show. We're back from our cliffhanger. And you know, if there's not like an actual hanging off a cliff in book two or three, I'll be surprised. Yes. Agreed. Or maybe out of like a helicopter or something. There's got to be some danger dangling. Ooh, I wouldn't mind some danger dangling. Mm -hmm. That would be quite Mm -hmm. fun. Well, there was danger dangling in this episode, in this episode, in this book as well, when she dangles out of the, the, the... shipment container oh yeah yeah but that's not is that like fall to your demise or fall to break your ankle it is potentially no i think you could fall to your demise given how high those Uh, go and you've also got to consider what you're landing on as well that's true because you know how far up is the container plus the stacking Mm -hmm. and this is going to be put into in, in, in by the description it's going from on top of a shipping one shipping container going to be put inside the cargo hold of another mm. shipping container so you've got to add on yeah distance yeah. there there's some danger so there's some dangling. danger there's some danger dangling you know if it was in the movie it would be like the the the, the muzak the danger muzak would be yeah yeah kidding. and the shipping container she would be dangling outside of the shipping container as it's like swooping over the open sea the drawn camera angles would be getting some very yes. good wide shots. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Come on, Netflix. It's very Mission Impossible style. It is. Kind of. It scene. is. It's very Mission Impossible. There's some Kingsmen, which we talk about oh, God, yes. a little bit in the bonus episode. And maybe in Would You Rather? I, I, don't I love the yeah. fact that we both watched The King's Man. On the same night, unplanned. Yes. And talk, and it was just after we'd finished the I agency. know, it was perfect. It was really, like, perfect timing. <sighs> yeah, we are perfect in every way. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. did you feel immersed in, in the British culture? I mean, I did feel like... It was exceptional. I did feel like it was exceptionally British. Excessively, exceptionally British. <laughs> Especially because Brie shows up to this school who doesn't let anyone in if they're not British. And they're like, why are you Why are you here? You're not British. And she's like, I don't know. I'm from Alabama. <laughs> it was so racist, that, that yeah, scene. They I were... was like, oh my God. You need to be English first, then British. Yeah. Then we may consider the EU. Yeah, they weren't great. Oh my God. They weren't. They weren't great. No, it was awful. It was horrible. It was very uncomfortable to read. I mean, I'm not saying that you know British institutions and people in Britain aren't racist because we're as racist as the next people. Everybody is. But yeah, that was awful. Yeah. I don't like exclusionary things. No. But I mean, would this would this agency like take on anyone who wasn't British? I don't see why not. 
purely from a spying point of view, from an espionage point of view, there are going to be certain places and um, positions where it's actually beneficial if the person isn't of British origin. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but see, then you go into like the Kingsmen versus the Statesmen. You've got the Statesmen who can go and do all of the United States stuff. And they're also cowboys yeah. for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> With their bourbon whiskey yes. and everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But as long as I can understand it, if there was like an American equivalent of Norwood, I can yeah. get that. And they have their own, I don't know. See, this is where it gets complicated because it's British intelligence with it being MI6. Mm-hmm. They're going to work with American intelligence. It will be the CIA. Yeah. Yeah. Because FBI is local, CIA is international. Yes. Yeah. But then it's also going to be competition as well. Yeah. It's It's not that they're like, okay we're all nannies, <laughs> we're all going to work together. No, it's they're not. competing it's, nannies. We work for queen and country, we work for state. Yeah. So maybe there, maybe, yeah. I mean, this is the beginning. So maybe there will be competing nanny schools. And then the moral <laughs> of the trilogy will be that everyone has to work together to get along. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I think we're just getting a bit complicated. It's getting it's getting a bit complicated. It is. it is getting complicated. But I mean, it's spies, so nothing's going to be easy. It's a, no, it's a spider web of intrigue. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and danger dangling. Danger dangling. <laughs> spider weaving. <laughs> Sounds like a graphic. It novel. does. It does. <laughs> Anywho, can I get my complaints out of the way first? Yeah, of course. Okay, it's set in Bath. I've never been to Bath, surprisingly. Hmm. Um, I could tell it wasn't a British person writing it. Hmm. It re that stood out to me that I could tell it was a British person who. It wasn't a British person who wrote it. There was just a few bits and pieces that made me stop. Like, there were Britishisms, but I was like, they're not. Um, we would never call anywhere a drugstore. Oh. So, it would be a pharmacy. Yeah. If it was going to be a place that sold exclusively medication kind of products. Yeah. Um, Specifically where Dashiell has to go out. <laughs> Dashiell dashes out. <laughs> To get some nappies for the robot mm-hmm. baby, and he says, "I'll just go down to the drugstore." You would never say that, um, because we don't use the term drugstore, and you'd just say, "I'm going to the shops," or "I'll go to the supermarket," or "I'll pop to ASDA," or you'd name a specific <sighs> supermarket to go to. You wouldn't go to the pharmacy to get nappies, even though they do sell nappies. They're not like you know the predominant retail establishment yeah. you would name, and it really stood out to me. And there was another bit that made my eyes go away, hang on, what's going on, is there was the phrase housing council and it made me stop and I can only assume that Monica meant council housing and council housing's like local authorities build housing areas and they own it and they rent it out to people. Um, It's traditionally unkindly thought of as the... um, 
the cheapest house in mm, the states mm-hmm. um because people don't own those i mean you cannot you can buy those houses there was a huge boom of them where the local councils were selling them for ridiculously cheap amounts of money so people were able to actually get onto the property ladder rather than just renting but council estates are everywhere and it's traditionally thought of as the lowest income mm. areas of uh, 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 urban areas and i can only assume that's what it meant so there's just little bits and pieces that just really stood out like when they were in the bar and they were drinking ale like why are they drinking ale this sounds like an old man pub now and it was just a bit weird hmm. but it wasn't it didn't it wasn't an old man pub yeah. see i um, so there's as just an american reading i don't know i didn't catch any of those things well exactly exactly as an american reading it i don't think it will pull you out the story Mm-mm. but there was just those odd moments of quote-unquote britishisms yeah. that weren't and did pull me yeah. out um personally i would as a british person unless i was nagging on you <laughs> i wouldn't pull you up for saying diaper instead of nappy because i say a diaper as well um, yeah i mean they were uh, elevator and lift. they did rag on her a little bit about things you know being yeah. American, but yeah, I don't. You don't make fun of me if I try to use British words. I mean, yeah, you do. You would definitely make fun of me if I try to use British words. What am I saying? But I don't think any. I, w- I would say most of the time we just let each other go yeah. past, unless it's a particular word where we very much know it is like a colloquialism. Yeah that you will not understand yeah. at all. And it's like, do you have that word? Yeah, what, are, no, what is okay, it that you're saying out right now? Yeah. Yeah, which is fine. But, you know, having having have, having friends who are international, more so now than ever. And when I was at university and we used to have the American um, transfer students over, you would stop and go, do you understand what this is? But you wouldn't. If you understood what they were saying, you wouldn't call them up and say, no, sorry, that's an American term. You are in Britain. You yeah. use the British term. Yeah. You wouldn't do it. It doesn't happen. Um, yeah, it's. I don't think it's really fair I, to force someone to like completely adapt your language. No, not at all. I can understand why the proctors and the instructors at Norwood might be a bit more, um, more bullying yeah. <laughs> to broad spree. Yeah. But you don't actually really hear them pulling her up on the terms. It's it's Dashiell and Ruby and, and Susie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, just those little bits pulled me out of the story a little bit because I knew they weren't British, British terms, but it felt like they should be British terms. Um, so as a Brit reading it, it just it stood out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't, you know, if it's not a thing that you say, if you don't go to a drugstore, if you don't have drugstores... You know, why would Dashiell say drugstore? I could see if it was Brie saying, oh, I'll run to the drugstore because she doesn't know the difference. So it would have been fine if that had been Brie saying it, but not Dashiell saying it. Yes, precisely that. That's probably my my biggest issue. mm, Issue seems like a too harsh Mm. a word. It was probably the you know the thing that stood out the most to me and in, 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 in that pulled me out of the story yeah. but otherwise i thought it was quite interesting yeah yeah it was a good time um it it felt like it felt like two different books really you know the first part was very silly and 
they're like making up fake names for their classes and everything is ridiculous and there's babies pooping everywhere and like it's very slapstick but then as soon as she gets into the spy training it's like whoa it kind of gave me kingsman vibes like there's a lot of silly things that happen but then there's lots of gruesome and violent attacks and it's like hyper violent so it's it's that was actually my biggest surprise about the book how much the tone changed yeah halfway through yeah i could see that but you know it it just makes me think of Kingsman. This is the YA, this is the YA female version of the Kingsman for me. Yes, I completely agree. I completely yeah, agree, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same, same. Um, can we discuss how Gull is quite clearly Bree's half sister? Oh, what do you mean when she dead? has her mohawk and her hair is growing in the same color as Bree's hair? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and how she was adopted as a small child, but she's actually British. Yep. yep. Yeah. That's that's the kid. That's the kid that the dad had first. Yes. That's the first one. <laughs> and if it's not, what the heck? Yeah. You know? I hope she's not dead. I hope Gull is not dead. She can't be dead. She, she can't. She cannot she can't be, be dead. dead. I won't let her be because... dead. Because, no, she, if anything, she's been taken hostage. Yeah. Because they don't know she's dead. All they know is that her tracker is missing. Her tracker. Exactly. Yep. And that's it. She can't be dead. We won't let and her be dead. what do you do when you kidnap Take somebody? Exactly. And who would know that the trackers are there? The mother. Somebody from Norwood. Yeah. Do you think the mum's actually, actually dead? No. no. I don't think they're I don't think their parents are dead. Notice I say their parents because Gull is clearly related. She's got to be. She's got to be. If not, that's our fan fiction and we're rewriting the story ourselves. God, yes. It has to happen. It has to happen that way. Yeah. But I don't think her parents are dead. (laughs) I don't. Because, you know, I I just don't think they are. I don't think they would be very good spies if they died already. And I think that they're probably but it was very like good spies. I don't years care. Ago. I don't want them to be dead. <laughs> I want them to be doing super secret spy things. That I mean, I agree. I agree. I would like. On one hand, I would like both her parents to come back and be like, "Yeah, we're being super secret spies in the super secret spy agency. Check us mm-hmm. out." Um, but on the other hand, they concentrate so much on the mother and not on the father. I'm kind of wondering, is the dad definitely dead and the mother potentially still alive? I don't know. If anything, I would think that the mother is actually dead and the father's still alive. Because yeah. they keep mentioning because the mother so much mis- and they don't mention the father. So the father is... I mean, the father was with a different agency as well. He was with MI5 or MI6. Right. So her dad is James Bond. Right. But also Miss Judy, she faked her own death after the accident I don't think she would go so far without checking mm. I think she's too thorough not to yeah. um, and uh, and as well there's one thing being a spy but there's another thing being a parent and by the sound of it her parents were ready to have that family um, and for them to give it up to do whatever spy things that they need to do and let their children go and be adopted into an unknown situation or a brave situation live in an orphanage and think that she is unwanted mm-hmm. is really horrible and a form of abuse 
It's neglect. And it's awful. And I, I would hate for that to be true. Especially considering she was tortured as a child. Yeah, but let's let's just hope that we didn't they didn't know that that would happen. Maybe, you know, her parents knew Rodney and Judy and thought, well, these people are perfect and they will take care of our child and they will and she will be safe and everything will be fine. And then later on down the road, we can meet back together and have a happy reunion. But then things something went terribly wrong. And let's maybe not even think about that horrible woman coming in and being abusive to Bree. Let's just pretend that she doesn't exist. Judy killed her. It's fine. It's true. What if the parents think that Bree and Gull were killed in the car wreck? Ooh. And Miss Judy staged it. Is Miss Judy the baddest bad thinking. guy of all bad guys? Well, Miss Judy's a lovable asshole. Sure. She'll do what she needs to yeah. do, but we like her about it. Yeah. And she is taking care of Bree. Or is Miss Judy really Bree's uh, mom? I also thought that. Taken I also thought that. On Miss Judy's identity. I also thought that. Yeah. We'll just have. This is the vicious web of espionage. It is. There's just so it many is. what ifs. We'll have to just keep reading. But the next book doesn't come out until, like, probably the beginning of next year. So. <laughs> Although, um, I can imagine that we'll get an arc of it, so we can read it. I in hope advance. so. Yeah, <laughs> we need to know. We need to know what is happening here. And we did talk Gosh, about no. the sequel a little bit in our discussion with Monica, so you can learn a little bit mm-hmm. of secrets. But we need to know more secrets. And also, Claire yeah. is going to be quoted a thousand times throughout that book. <laughs> It starts off in America, I can't That's say. True. Maybe you'll be in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Yeah, you and your... All right, love. You want some yeah. rhubarb gin? You and your rhubarbs are going to make a definite appearance. Hey, Dashiell, you're such a swat. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Um, So, who's your favorite character? Dashiell and Ruby... They were good. I liked they were good sidekicks. Dashiell. Yeah. yeah, I like Dashiell because he has a sense of humor and I love the way he introduced himself. Like, let's be unicorns together. Yeah. And I kind of like that. I I feel a little sorry for him. You yeah. know, he his because his entire life is devoted to embarrassing his father when you can't live for that. Yeah. yeah. I did like him though. I've I found it questionable that he and she was Susie at the time. Yes. I don't know how I feel about their relationship. And honestly, I just I kind of wanted Dashiell to be gay. I thought Dashiell was gay. Especially because he called them unicorns. Like I just really feel like I feel like well, to be fair, he could be bi sure. or pan. He or, could be anything. You know, you know, it could be but I just didn't see him and Susmita no. being a thing. No, that was weird. It, it That came out of left field. Yeah. I mean... There's an Americanism for you. Maybe, um, <laughs> maybe he was doing his own espionage. 
he was he was <laughs> delving into thought there was yeah he? while Sasmita was sexually espionaging the Asian the Asian man. man with the horrible neck tattoo the Asian man with the horrible you know the one she was sexu- she, he she was sexualizing him but then he t- went to the airport he was the he was the air force person that got shot in the mm-hmm. car in Istanbul mm-hmm. So who was she? Who was Susmita having a sexy rendezvous with at the All end? All of them. She's just having sexy rendezvous with everyone. With all Asian men with the US flag on the. Well, I mean, the, we the don't tattoos. know for certain that they all have American flag tattoos on their necks. No, well, we know the two. There was two. Well, we say two, but definitely one because. She was having these sexy rendezvous in Jaguar House with the Asian man with the neck tattoo. Well, we don't... And then there was an Asian man with a neck tattoo found dead in this No, the, the man... The okay. first one, it didn't mention that he had a neck tattoo. I just assumed that they were the same guy. But, you so know, Sismita has all of this, like, prior history with China and learning their language and doing all of this stuff. So, you know, maybe she's just really into Asian guys and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. I uh, My issue is the neck tattoo. That is an issue that we can have. That is an issue that we can share together. Um, I really like <laughs> Sasmita. <laughs> of course, we all know that I prefer the villain in any story, and clearly from the very beginning, you can tell, like, she's not a bumbling idiot. She's doing all of this on purpose. She is the smartest person in every room that she is in, until she gets her head blown off. She's playing them all like fools. Yeah. And I liked her. I thought, at one point, Montoya Craig... The mm-hmm. head girl Proctor person mm-hmm. who's a pain in the arse. Mm-hmm. Before we found out that Gull had auburn hair, mm-hmm. I thought there was a potential that she could have been Bree's half sister because she would have fucking hated Ooh, yeah, that. she would have. Being the racist bitch. Yeah, that she but was. no, I would prefer that it is Gull. No, it is. It's Gull. It has to be. I will have nothing, even if it is written differently. I, I w- in our hearts, like, canonically, I will cross it out. In, in it. our hearts, Go is our favorite older sister. Yes, and if I can offer Brie a handy hangover tip, mm, there's two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first one I learned from a nurse friend. What you need to do is get like Ribena, or I do. Apparently, in America, you don't have like squash, which is like concentrated fruit juice that you dilute with water. It's a kid's drink, predominantly. Exactly. Some people said that was co- like, it, I was watching a debate and were like, oh, it's a cordial, but apparently it's not a thing either. We should have put an so exceptionally British warning before you begin speaking this. Wooga, a wooga. <laughs> you need to get something highly sugared. So full fat corks and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Okay. Um, and paracetamol. A couple of paracetamols and keep chugging as much sugary drinks as you can. Because that helps the hangover. But the number one British way to get rid of a hangover is the fry up. Mm, okay. So she should have had a sausage sandwich or a bacon sandwich or on the way to Norwood College gone via Greg's and got a Greg's pasty. 
or sausage roll. Exceptionally British. And that is all exceptionally British. But if you know, Drew, you know. (laughs) Drew will know. Drew will know. Yeah, Drew's just going to be like, yeah, I know exactly what is happening right now. And while everyone else's eyes glaze over. Well, if you're a member of our bonus Patreon group, therefore on the Facebook bonus Mm -hmm. page... You will, you will. After this episode is um, released, mm-hmm. have a link and photographs of Greg's. I will okay, post. Okay, that's good. That'll so be you, good. You can contextualize yeah, properly. That'll be good. But yes, Greg's. Yeah. yeah. It's a bakery company. Okay. Started in the northeast, and now it's countrywide. It's excellent. This ends the exceptionally British segment of this episode of Fictional Hangover. You yeah, wait. does it? No, that was a lie. I don't know. <laughs> To spiffing, darling. <laughs> no. What? What? Stiffer off the lip? No. Arse. 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 <laughs> Is it time for Would You Rather? What? 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 One is excited to experience Would You Rather <laughs> with the authoress Monica McGuck. Delightful. <laughs> Golf clap? No. <laughs> Claire, is it time? It is time. It is time for Would You Rather. Yay! Yay. This Would You Rather is extra special <laughs> because we are joined by the author. Yay! Yay! Thanks for joining us, Monica. We're so happy to have you here. Amanda and Claire, thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. So many things about this book. <laughs> got you it's thinking? Ex- well, it's got it's excessively British and excessively American. So this yes. fight is very fitting for our transatlantic little podcast. It is. It is perfect for us. <laughs> Even though she's not really Southern, she was really British heritage. But I can pretend. I can. We can all aspire. Yes. Oh. <laughs> anyway. That, that was a complete spoiler. It's a good job we've already revealed this fact already. Hey, yes. I mean, we're full <laughs> okay. of spoilers, okay? We that's, didn't. That's a minor spoiler in the scheme of things. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That is very true. Right, let's delve into this would you rather. We asked on social media, it's the end of your term exam. As an elite nanny in training, you must return your charge unharmed and in full health, otherwise you fail. We want to know, would you rather look after an uncanny valley robo baby or an egg? And on Facebook, 80% said egg. On Instagram, it was a straight up 50-50. On Twitter, mm-hmm. 67% said egg. And on TikTok, with nearly 500 votes, it was egg, 80%. That is an crazy oh. amount of votes. Yeah. And I don't know how it was such like an even percentage because seriously, there were like 487 votes. How did it split 80-20? It was crazy. That's crazy. Math. That is crazy. <laughs> math. math, yes. Math. And we don't we don't do math on fictional hangover. <laughs> well, that's really interesting, but uncanny belly baby sounds really scary. So. Hey, well, that baby 
that baby the baby was scary. all over everything constantly that yeah. is scary and that was based on a true story of a real baby my baby oh, no. way back in the day <laughs> oh i had no. i had a um well i was working full time and my normal child care arrangements fell through because my child was sick and we got a backup nanny from the service Unbeknownst to me, backup nanny had never actually been a nanny. So did not follow the brat diet. Did have poop on my white sofa. Good times. So oh no. Ripped from the headlines. No Were you able to save the sofa? Flipped a cushion. Oh. <laughs> We're proud to be in the household. <laughs> Every sofa cushion in my house has been flipped <laughs> multiple times in my house. Yes, we have dogs you, and we had children, so it's, yeah. it's part of the game plan. You learn which cleaning product is the best to remove either pee or vomit or poop. It's yes. disgusting. It is disgusting, but I don't know what what would you guys have picked, egg or Robo Baby? Look, okay, the Robo Baby. Obviously, you know, based on our picture that we used on social media, we chose we chose a picture of the creepy Renesmee robot from Ooh, Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have an odd obsession with this creepy Renes bot. So I just I just kind of want to pick the Robo Baby just because of that. And like we did the the baby thing when I was in high school, but I didn't take that class. So all of my friends were carrying around these robo babies and I was like, nah, not for me. So like, I didn't get to experience it and I kind of want to, but not at all because I don't want children and I never will, but I don't know. Claire, Claire what, what would you pick? Uh, well, have like similar, I've got a child. I've done the poop and the pee and the vomit. Every fluid that can come out of a child has in some capacity been on me in some way shape or form i don't need to go through that again one and done i will make a little cushion nest for the egg i will put the egg in the fridge and it will stay fresh all weekend at the back of the fridge it will not be scrambled poached boiled or in any way shape or form cracked it'll be fine it'll be good it seems pretty straightforward but not very challenging i don't need to be challenged i've done that (laughs) So far, he survived till seven. I've survived till he's seven. That's good. I'm, I feel like I don't need to break this winning streak or crack any winning streaks. So I'm not going to be imaginative with this one at all. Very practical. If you're protecting your grade, you might go with the egg. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But and, and also, I mean, they're going through a lot of other difficult things in their schooling so maybe the egg is the best choice because you're gonna you know go and beat someone up you're gonna run through a refugee camp you're gonna now all these things didn't happen at the same time but still it could be hot glue guns at dawn you don't know with this school it's crazy (laughs) that's true now they didn't have a choice of taking the egg so they kind of were forced down the path but yeah if i had the choice i would do the egg too enough going up we never got that kind of class at school. Like, he is a fake child, look after it. I find oh, really? those dolls 
I can't. Even, I don't even want the cold. I've never liked dolls. I hate dolls. Dolls are yeah. evil. They're creepy um, beyond all reason, which is why yeah. I like them. Well, I've yeah. ne- I didn't even like them as a child. I was. I, I like plushies, um, but I just don't like dolls. And I don't know why you would give a small child a doll that actually poops or wheezes or consumes food. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Giving this a, a baby a baby. I think it was. I think it was a fear factor. At least in my high school, it was. <laughs> this is what happens. No, I avoid the, eye, the, the. Even when I'm shopping Christmas and birthday presents for my niece who loves dolls, I will avoid the doll, doll aisle in the shop. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was terrified of the first doll that was ever given to me. We had to get put away in a closet, tucked away, Ooh. never to be seen. What yeah. kind of doll was it? Was it called Anna? No, it was a Mrs. Beasley doll. There was a television show in the U.S. um, where there was a Mrs. Beasley. And I don't know. It was like the hot toy. And it was super cool that my aunt procured one for me. And I was terrified. Oh, man. I just Googled that doll. That doll is creepy. It's It's creepy, right? Um, Yeah, not a sweet sweet thing. Oh, she's like a... She's like a tiny old lady. That's weird. Yeah. That needs to be oh, in Baggins Haunted Museum. <laughs> but uh. hot toy at the time. So. <laughs> and you but had it hiding off. in your closet. I did. Tucked <laughs> Is away. that not worse? The fact it's tucked away and you don't know what it's up to. <laughs> no, it was, it was out of sight, out of mind, I think. It was the the philosophy my mom was taking um, when she <laughs> did that thing. You could, it was a gift, so you couldn't get rid of it. It had to be, you know, kept. But anyway. Oh, I love it. So it sounds like egg wins. Egg is the winner. Yeah. yeah. A lot of our comments on social media were were all egg. Um, mm. L Young 421 on TikTok said egg can be put in the fridge until it's over. I trap banana munchers on TikTok. It's a great handle. Um, Also said egg, if you break it, buy more. (laughs) Ah, the cheating element. You're cheating. You could could just hard boil it. Nothing, you know, they become indestructible at that stage. It's true. Or do you like those science experiments where you like soak it in vinegar or whatever and it becomes bouncy? Then it could be pickled eggs. They are disturbing. Yes. We, we pickled eggs at school, but we never looked after an egg at school. We so actually had to do that in my school, again, a long time ago. And you had to carry it around with you. You couldn't just put it away. So, you know. How long did you have to keep it? I want to say a week. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But it was long enough that it was a big pain in the butt. I remember. That. Now, I didn't have the egg, but I had a Tamagotchi. Does that count? Oh, <laughs> no, it's a combination of it's a robo egg it's a combination yes, of yeah. the two you've melted maybe the, all the annoying elements of everything only perhaps well it dies right if you don't give it the attention it, it wants it dies so yeah exactly and my brother bought me it it was a little black and white puppy it was it was a black it was a puppy and it was in a black and white case and my brother bought me it and he was in secondary school at the time and I was still in, in, in juniors. And they actually said, you are not allowed to bring your Tamagotchis to school. 
So my brother, because he bought it for me, was forced to take it to school and look after it, <laughs> keep it all alive. day to keep it alive. <laughs> and then the handover took place after school until eventually, you know, it gets put in a drawer and forgotten about and dies. But yes, I think, does a Tamagotchi count? Because, I mean, I did look after a Tamagotchi. You know, I, I, kept, I kept that sucker alive. How long did you keep it alive? Months. Months. Impressive. Yeah, I was obsessed over it and it needed to be looked after. I think I found it like with when I last moved house as well. I was like, oh my god! I mean, the battery was dead, so yeah. it got binned. But yeah, Tamagotchi's. I guess it's kind of like the Sims. Oh, don't go there! Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to go cold turkey playing the Sims when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, it was obsessive, but it's kind of the same concept, right? Ignore it for too long and. <laughs> disaster yeah well I mean that's if you're playing it properly if you're playing it the way I do you kind of put everybody in the pool and then a hedge around it and see what happens because you want to create <laughs> take a away the house. ladder yeah I wanted a haunted house so I was killing all of my sims and it didn't work out in the end it was too scary to live in oh man. yeah did you put like a an indoor grill by a curtain oh, firework fireworks okay fireworks, fireworks. In a room with no exit and if you put alarm clocks in a room and set them all to go at the same time and then put the people inside you drive them crazy <laughs> right so when i'm looking for bad things to happen in my plots i'm calling you claire yeah you've got it down <laughs> i've done that i've all had it and now i'm in charge of a child <laughs> did we have any comments that weren't egg by the way um, so i know constant said egg the egg is the beginning of comedy the creepy baby is the beginning of a horror movie and annie said egg no crying, no poop. Set it in the crate and it'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, um, Brie. Brie. Brie, yes. Oh, Brie. And that's perfect. It's very fitting. Brie. Yeah, Brie on Facebook said Uncanny Valley Robo Baby. I want that internship resume experience. Also, that egg would become French toast so fast. <laughs> um, oh, superfan Coral. Would you? We would have to go with the egg. Um, with that you can set it and forget it and you don't have to uh, something creepy staring at you from the corner of the room and if you get hungry mm -hmm. scramble it up everybody <laughs> must have been hungry doing these comments yes we Janie on instagram i don't i butchered that handle by my experience as a nanny i know the egg will end up smelling worse than the robo baby so maybe they're picking the robo baby oh they've got an expired egg <laughs> Yuck. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, mm. Not nice. Not nice. No. Oh, very good. I did put this on the wall at the library, and someone did say eggs are fragile and crack under pressure, as am I. Give me the robo baby in all capital letters. So <laughs> interesting. I love it. So many good comments That's all the cool. time. That was a good would you rather. That was a lot. We love our would you rathers. We really love yeah. them. Our next question is, would you rather be a nanny working for a rich and famous family, able to take advantage of their high life, or be a spy living in the shadows with no connections and having friends and family is frowned upon? Mm. Interesting one. I guess it depends on whether, wait, both of those you could get like international travel and glamour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're kind of in the background as a nanny. You're in the background of the spy, but you're actually making things happen. 
So I don't know. I personally don't want to die. So I think I would go with the nanny. (laughs) Despite some of the downsides that might bring with it. Um, Because, yeah, I would like to live. Yeah. So how about you guys? Now, see, I'm just going to avoid the children again at all costs. I'm avoiding the children, so I'm going to be a spy. And that's funny that I say that as a children's librarian on the inside. Look, I like children for small amounts of time, but I don't want to have to care for you. I don't, I don't want to be responsible. Just let me entertain you. So maybe I should be a nanny. Mm, there is still a lot of responsibility, it. though. Yeah. Okay, so I'll just be a spy. Them. I'll just be a spy. Fine. Okay, I'm going to be a spy as well. That simply because I do know a nanny who works for the capital R, capital P, rich people. She's not allowed to tell me who she works for. Okay, I know her previous employer, and they're in Switzerland, mm-hmm. and they're absolutely batshit local. Like I have <laughs> never heard. We were we were talking yesterday about her previous employer, and they are crazy, all the crazy, and I don't know how she did it for so long. And I couldn't put it with the you know fleeting the way that she the the work. It's like if they want something done, it needs to be done now. There's no organization to it. There's no structure to it. It was it was crazy. Um, and I couldn't be bothered with that. I would get so fired. they were like impulsive and demanding. Yes, too much so. Yeah, and entitled, and it's just it, it would drive me crazy. I couldn't I couldn't deal with that. So, so torture and getting shot at is better than that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> getting shot at, um, explosions, kidnap, torture sounds better than what she put up with for three years. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> awesome. So based on your conversations with your friend, did some of the scenarios around the capital R, capital P preparation in the agency sound on target or no? Not crazy enough? <laughs> Not crazy enough in some instances. She did end up in a river once um, because they were messing around. <laughs> the kids were messing around and she had and, and she had to get them away from the yacht and she was the one who ended up in the water. Um, and one of the other kids decided to run away from home and they've managed to track them down two days later at the airport. Thanks. Yeah. How old was this child? 11. <laughs> Ish. oh my god yeah it, it it's just phenomenal I, I described it as um a soap opera where you don't want to watch but you have to watch like I'm wait- I, train I, wreck I, coming yeah I am I am genuinely waiting for the Netflix special it's it's just bonkers you wouldn't believe it um and it's definitely a, a how the other half live and she does offer try and offer structure. She's she's a teacher. She's a trained teacher, and you know she's done a librarianship courses and mindfulness courses. So she hasn't gone to, you know, nanny school. Is in the okay. agency. Yeah. Um, she hasn't gone to Norwood. Um, but you know she's she's good at what she does. But the stories she comes out with, I just couldn't cope. And this, it's not as if it's like, you know, six kids she's looking after. It's one or two. 
it's bonkers. It's the parents more than the kids as well. The parents are the, the crazy people. So yeah, I couldn't I couldn't put it. I would I would be the nanny for the rich and famous, but it's not as if I don't think she she doesn't get the benefits of the rich and famous. She'll get to go on holiday with them if they want to accommodate having her with them, but it's not guaranteed that she goes with them. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do wish she did take the job in the Cayman Islands because I had an open invitation for a visit. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice right about now. Yeah. 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 Anywho. You guys are very squarely in spy camp. Well, be much more interested. Plus, it's puzzle solving and all that kind of. I'm actually surprised that a man didn't go for nanny simply for the crafting. I do love a good craft. Yeah, I mean, how many hot glue guns do you have? Only I only have two. I only have three. You only have three. That's three more than I have. (laughs) I used to have one. I did have one, but now I'm down to zero because my my youngest is now fifteen. So we don't do crafts at, at home anymore. So can I can I just put them together? Can I go to Norwood? Can I be a spy nanny? Because I think yeah, that would I'll be you, I'll, I'll put you in the next book, Amanda. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, I, w- I could do that. I mean, I do have an infinite supply of craft materials. And have I've it. We'll travel, then you're in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going to put them both together then. You picked option C. I can't believe you've gone there. Well, you mentioned the crafts, Claire. I, I wasn't going to bring up the crafts, but you I mentioned You forced your hand. <laughs> did. You did. Okay. Next, would you rather? Would you rather be an impoverished aristocrat or an orphan with a mysterious background? Mm-hmm. Who, who, who wants to go first? you want me to go first? You have to go first this time. Monica. I have to go first. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um picking up on what you were just saying about mysteries I like the mystery element like what happened unraveling that and I like the idea that as an orphan you can be free of whatever your past was so I would go for B a mysterious orphan yeah I mean I'm just thinking like I don't want to be dash you know making having to like make himself a spectacle because he hates his father so much. I don't want to do that. And if I were a mysterious orphan, I mean, I could make up my own history. I could make up my own story. And no one would know because I'm an orphan. Yep. No one would know. Exactly. As an orphan, you can be whoever you want to be. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So let's just be orphans together. Yeah. So what about you, Claire? Absolutely no interest in aristocracy. None at all. I don't care. And I don't look at the papers, not bothered for reading about them, whatever. You know, oh, paparazzi are following such and such around. Don't know. The only aristocracy I could probably name are parts of the royal family, and even then it's not in a favourable light. Um, yeah, so let's just be orphans together. Let's just be orphans. I don't even think the aristocracy has any respect from the general populace. People in Britain don't care. Very stifling. Me, like all like publicity, but if it's publicity, it's only bad publicity. There's not even that much publicity about them. It is literally the royal family and anybody connected to the royal family. You can't name any dukes or earls or marquis. I couldn't name any of them. Breathe the orphan. Yeah. 
this is yes. life is not Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, definitely orphan with a mysterious background. And I'll just change it every time with different people. And you know, nobody will know the true story behind me. Yeah. So you'll be extra help this straight up here a spy too. Exactly. Yeah. It will help with spy work. Yeah. Get really We're figuring things out here. We're figuring out why Brie is so great. Yeah. She's, as she's long as she doesn't get mired down in the past, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, that's a little, little gonna, clingy to it. Yeah. That's going to be good for our last would you rather question. But we're not there yet. We have one more before that one. Would you rather design a scavenger hunt around London or two weeks of craft projects? Oh, 100% the scavenger hunt. That would be really fun. Um. I actually got to do that. I, I didn't get to design one, but I got to go on one um, for like a work thing once. And it was a blast. It was a blast. Um, and if I were in charge of it, I could be really obscure and do really fun things. So um, I would totally do that. I am not a good crafter. I did, you know, did my duty as a mom. I had the supplies. I still have some leftover supplies, but I would not be very good at that it would drive me nuts so yeah scavenger hunt for sure what about you claire i love a good scavenger hunt i do like a good craft you know i do but scavenger hunt around london definitely and that's one of the things i liked about the scavenger hunt it didn't go to the normal places i kept expecting the natural history museum to pop up with a british museum and it didn't go anywhere that a normal touristy places so that really really well probably 221B Baker Street. That's probably about the touriest, touriestest place ever. Oh, and side note, everybody laughs at cockfosters, not just tourists. <laughs> okay. Everybody. I used to work when I, my previous employer had to go down to London a lot. And the amount of times I was on the tube and went past cockfosters and I would take a picture and send it to my husband and go, he, 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 cockfosters. So, Everybody, not just tourists, slap at cockfosters. <laughs> it does kind of beg for a joke. Yeah. Everybody awesome. is 12 on the inside. Yep. <laughs> and aren't we all? Yeah. Exactly. The fun people are anyway. Yeah. Exactly. 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 I would like Brie to go down to London and go to one of the disused um, tube stations. One of the ones that's been closed off and have some kind of mystery down there or there's some kind of clue that's being left there. I don't know. I, I love those kind of like hidden off places that not even tourists can go to. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like the, the deep down underground areas of London because there's so much. There's so much. It's a city built on top of a city on top of a city. Yeah. Excellent. That's a great idea. Making a note. <laughs> Claire, I hope you get like special acknowledgements in a future book um i actually have the first draft of the second book done Ooh. which we can talk about later but um yeah mm. right, let's ahead. quickly move on then Amanda, yeah we doing? need to get to that oh um i am going to break the rules and choose option c again and I'm going to make it a craft scavenger hunt. I'm going to craft weird clues and hide them places. Because, look, I could put together two weeks worth of crafts in no time. You swap. Give me three hours. 
You were SWAT. Less than that. Do you have the word SWAT in America? No, but you've taught me about it before. Would you like to teach Monica about it? What is that word? SWAT. Um, it's usually a derogatory term to applied to children who are academically inclined and overachievers. But uh, I usually get called a SWAT all the time and say, thank you. That means that what I'm doing is right. Another well, thing to note. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you need to like, just listen to some of the back catalog of fictional hangover to pick up some of the exceptionally British things that Claire has to say. And you could, you could fill pages with the ridiculousness that comes out. You'll get like a whole page of acknowledgement. (laughs) (laughs) I need to to get these terms, these ideas, these things. (laughs) I need to wear my excessively British t-shirt, don't I? You do. You do. (laughs) We have an exceptionally British line of products on our Redbubble shop and they're all made just for Claire. (laughs) I didn't realize how British I was until I started talking to Amanda. Well, it's because I'm not British at all, and I really like to laugh at the ridiculous things that you say. I just talk normal. Amanda, where in the South are you from? Arkansas. (gasps) I lived there. You lived in Arkansas? I did. Where? For two years. I lived in Fayetteville. Really? Yeah. We were almost neighbors. I mean, I'm in Little Rock, but that's really cool. Wow. No one's ever like, yeah, I've been to Arkansas. I lived there. (laughs) I feel special now. (laughs) when was that what were you up to um I worked for one of the companies in northwest Arkansas and um I lived there from 2016 to 2018 wow not too long ago no very recent my oldest son graduated from Fayetteville High School really he did I love that so much wow I don't awesome I don't feel so left out now. <laughs> we, we moved from Atlanta to Arkansas. And then we moved up to Chicago. That's nice. I was in Seattle while you were in Arkansas, but still. Okay. Yeah. So that's why I do, like, all, all my books have some connection to where I am or have been. Right. So a lot of Southern stuff. I like it. Um the next book will include some Chicago stuff. Nice. So. I love Chicago. I love Chicago. Fun town. Yeah. A little cold right now. but <laughs> Just a little bit. Is that where you currently are? Yep. I'm on the North Shore of Chicago. Yeah. That's We've been here since 2018. That's awesome. Yeah. We haven't visited Chicago in, I don't know, it's probably, probably been before we moved to Seattle so it's been a while since we visited there but it's about time for us to go back we've been there several come times come visit me I will oh my gosh and then you can come and visit me in Arkansas and then we can both be like why are we here research <laughs> <laughs> oh. just say research research yes that's right research hey it's beautiful I've here yet set a book in Arkansas so you know you can put anybody Yes, there are some. And it's beautiful here. I know that I rag on my home state a lot. And a lot of it is deserved, but it's beautiful here. You you have your own urban legends and haunted places. You know I want to come to Arkansas. I know. So you can meet the It is gorgeous. The lakes, the mountains. Yeah. Uh, And we really liked it when we were there. Yeah. So. All right. Claire, what's our last question? 
I'll ask, Ooh. would you rather? Would you rather find out where the children are or uncover the mystery of the parents? Oh, I would totally, if I were Brie, 100% focus on the children. Like, got to move on. Who cares about the past? Those kids are counting on you. You're a spy now. Do your job. Find out the kids. Go rescue them. That's what I would do. Those kids are so so sweet. (laughs) Those kids are so sweet. You have to take care of them. They're sweet and they're also tough, man. Yeah. You're like repelling off of containers and, you know, sneaking in with human traffickers. I mean, holy cow. Yeah. And you know what? Excellent kids. And especially those girls. Bree's like, all right, we're going to cut off all your hair. And they just went with it. I would have been freaking out if someone decided to cut off all my hair as a small child. Right? I mean. They were a little like. Troopers. Yeah. I Obedient. can't imagine being in a container for, was it 10 days? Oh, no. no. Uh, horrible, right? That was, you know, I did a lot of research and that was one of the more horrific elements of the research that and the refugee camp. Yeah. Those were like, oh God, horrible. No, yeah. I remember those being on the news for a long, 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 long time. And it was awful. Yeah, and now with everything happening, of course, in it's Ukraine, awful. right? Yeah, yeah. So, Claire, what would you do? You'd go for the parents. You'd un- unpack the mystery. I'm going to unpack the mystery of my parents, but it's going to lead to option C because there are far too many times where there's been hints towards Bree's mum. And I'm waiting for the, actually, there's Bree's dad's involved in this capacity as well, because he's kind of been forgotten about somewhat in the first one. We know he's MI5, but that's about it. So I'm waiting for that that penny to drop. Um, But there's too many hints about, oh, you look like your mum. Oh, your mum. Oh, your mum. So if we know what her mother was involved with, in theory, it's going to lead on to who has the mole within the agency and therefore we're going to find out where the kids are so it's option c technically but it's uncover the mystery of my parents and i just so happen to find the kids at the same time you're going to solve all the mysteries at the same time yeah i'm going to solve all the mystery all the time with that line of thinking you're going to love the second book (laughs) 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 secrets (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh okay so that's the end of would you rather Yay. That was a fun interview. I'm glad we got to do it. Yes, it was really, really fun, actually. It was um interesting deep dive at points into yeah. The, 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 yeah. the political bits as well. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is when we have a new person that we haven't talked to a million times on the show. Mm. Like, you know, to watch them warm up to us and get you know, slowly integrate themselves into the fictional hangover family. Because at first, you know, everyone's like very proper and, you know, and then by the end. Stiff up a lip. What? No. And then by the end, you know, we've <laughs> devolved into Twilight fan fiction and too much oh. Twilight talk, which, as everyone knows, I am a 
thousand percent fine. I'm up yeah. for that. <laughs> I need it. We I need, need it that. all the time. I've been stroking my Twilight books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's not British at all. <laughs> Let's just move on past stroking, that. Stroking, Let's go to favorite final stroking, thought stroking, quote. Stroking, Please stop stroking, stroking things. Stroking, stop inappropriately stroking, stroking things. No. <laughs> favorite final thought quote. Do you know, it, all my quotes are from the probably from the first half of the book because they were full of quips and witticisms. It was before the horrific events yes, of, kid, uh, of course. kidnapping and child yeah, trafficking. Yeah, it was. Took yeah, place. it was. It was much funnier the first half. Yeah. Yes. Um. So all of mine are from. Okay. There. What do you have? Um. I have, oh, there's loads. Yeah. There's loads. Yeah. The first one. <laughs> God damn pigeons always shitting on my car. <laughs> Every time you wash your car, guaranteed the per- the pigeons will shit on it. Or in my case as well, because I live near the sea, seagulls. God damn seagulls. Terrorists of the skies, I tell you. Terrorists of the skies. My second one. And I'm going to get my cup of tea okay, for this one. Okay, please do. A stiff cup of tea might be good for now. There's our girl becoming a proper Brit already. Very good. Very good. And my last one, <laughs> which I think needs to apply, especially to this episode, but to us in general. A good ribbing meant you were among friends. That is very true. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're made of. <laughs> What have you got? Okay, I've got a few as well. I think a very important one is, are you ready to do whatever it takes? That one just sets up everything. Um, Also, let's see. I don't believe in coincidences. They are just spasms of the universe trying to spawn the truth into the bright of day. There are no coincidences, Ooh. which is why Gull is Bree's half-sister. Not dead. And... Yep, yep, yep. And finally... Oh, we should just... We should just preface this entire episode with this one. You are about to encounter one of the most fulsome displays of Britishness you will ever have the pleasure to witness in your entire life. Watch and be amazed. That's just Claire. It's everything about Claire. A fulsome display of Britishness. <laughs> That's those are mine. Those are my quotes. There was loads more though. Yeah, there, there were a lot of good more. quotes. Read, a lot of good quotes. In read one. the book and get yeah. them. <laughs> All right, so if you liked this, try this. What do you have? Okay, I'm going to recommend one that is not yet released, but I am going to read it because sure. it sounds simply okay. wonderful. Um, the expected publication date is in October this year, and it's Reader, I Murdered Him by Betsy Cornwall. So if you're part of the Fictional Hangover book club page on Facebook, you'll have seen I've already posted yes. about this and gone squee. Yep. 
So the summary from Goodreads is, In this daring tale of female agency and revenge from a New York Times bestselling author, a girl becomes a teenage vigilante who roams Victorian England using her privilege and power to punish her friends' abusive suitors and keep other young women safe. Adele grew up in the shadows, first watching from backstage at her mother's Parisian dance halls, then wandering around the gloomy, haunted rooms of her father's manor. When she's finally sent away to boarding school in London, she's happy to enter the brightly lit world of society girls and their wealthy suitors. Yet there are shadows everywhere too. Many of the men that try to charm Adele's new friends do so with dark intentions. After a violent assault, she turns to a roguish young con woman for help. Together, they become vigilantes, melting out justice. But can Adele save herself from the same fate of those she protects? With a queer romance at its heart, this lush historical thriller offers readers an irresistible mix of vengeance and empowerment. All right. What do you have? Okay, mine is not something that anyone would ever expect me to share. But I just, I had to because of the timing of everything that happened with this one. Um, At my library, one of my coworkers just interviewed a friend of his who is one of these elite nannies. And I know the person that she works for. I know who that is, but it's... Like you said, it's a secret. You can't, you can't know. But my friend told me, and I'm not going to say it out loud to protect her, but um, this woman named Kimberly Joan wrote a book about her nannying experience. And the book is called The Drinking Nanny. And <laughs> the reason why I mention it is because that interview happened as part of a library program so you can watch this interview with Kimberly Joan and Alan at my library um, you can watch it on Facebook so if you find Saline County Library on Facebook you can watch this video and it's really fun because they in her book she has different drinks for different situations that she has encountered as a <laughs> nanny and so she will call like a code 17 and that requires this certain kind of drink so Oh my God! Literally, Lushes need this book in they their do. life. So the, <laughs> as the interview went on, they kept bringing the drinks in. So, anyway. oh my gosh, that's anyway. amazing. Um, so <laughs> the book that I am recommending is called *The Drinking Nanny* by Kimberly Joan. And the description on the back of the book is, Hi, I'm Kimberly. My kids call me Mimi, but you can call me the drinking nanny. Now, before you completely flip your wig, you should know that I don't drink around children, nor while I am on the job. If you are a parent, then you already know. Before the day is over, your kids will drive you to drink. At least one good time. As a celebrity nanny for over 15 years, I've seen it all. Is your day full of tantrums, sibling fights, laundry nightmares, and inconsolable whining that happens for no reason? I've got a code and a drink for that. Grab your adult sippy cup and let me show you how I make raising kids as fun as drinking a Mai Tai cocktail. That sounds amazing. Right? It's a lot of fun. We need to to, to get the literary lushes onto that because I want to see that episode <laughs> because they will drink. They will drink as every they, drink. As discuss yeah, it as we well. need to tell them about yeah. it. Yes, of course. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and everyone, go and find the video and watch it happen. It's a good time. We can link it up yeah. if you'd like into in the comments. Yeah. 
cool. That's amazing. Well, on this month of Indie Spotlights, do we have an Indie yes, Spotlight? Yes, yes, we do. And it is... Ooh. There's a pretty good tenuous link here, I Hashtag think. Hashtag tenuous? Yeah. So this one is called Breaking News by Frank Morelli. Things don't usually come to a screeching halt at The Rat, also known as Ridgewood Arts and Technical School, Ridgewood City's most prestigious progressive institution, tenuous link. But that's what happens when Headmistress Hardaway interrupts class and proclaims, A scandal has rocked the fundraising committee! Everyone's a suspect, and Hunter Jackson, student council special investigator, vows to root out the student who's heartless enough to steal donation money or die the death of a thousand forensic notes trying. He's not alone. Ridgewood Roar news editor Anthony Ravello and the rogue indie press pioneer Liberty Lennon plan to do some journalistic digging of their own as they race each other to scoop the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to their faithful readers, or at least their versions of it. With reality getting murkier by the day, all students at The Rat can do is gobble up news bites and wash them down with locker-side gossip as they try to unmask the classmate responsible for the missing funds. Ooh... That one sounds pretty fun. I think it's middle grade, so it's not quite as serious. Probably no one's going to get their heads blown off at the end of it, but... Rats. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> Stop it. That's terrible. So that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.